So today I want to tackle a topic that I believe uh, we all struggle with in our lives, and it's the, the issue of fear and anxiety. Right? I've preached on this topic a few times. I think I preached on it uh, regarding um, peace and, uh, and anxiety in the past, but I feel like uh, God is leading, God kind of led me to kind of tackle this subject again because it's something that I'm also struggling with as well. Um, as soon as God gave me this topic, um, all these things happened in my life where I started to feel very anxious, right? I was okay, I was fine, and then as soon as I said, all right, I think uh, this is what God, um, you know, I, I, I read this chapter in my last sermon, and I, and then I felt like God was kind of telling me to preach this, and then uh, anxiety, you know, things happened, and then anxiety came up. Um, it's just the way that God works sometimes, right? God uses our weaknesses uh, to really reveal his power and his goodness. Now, um, I want to, by a show of hands, who have, who's struggled with fear and anxiety at one point in time? Almost everybody, ones that are not raising their hands, set their shot. Uh, it's a universal thing. We all, we all struggle with fear and anxiety. Is We're not alone. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, almost everybody, it's not like, you know, there's, there's no one that's exempt from fear and Now, most Christians, they feel like that there's an accept, expectation that we're not supposed to struggle with fear and anxiety when we're saved. Like, when we have faith, it keeps us from worry. Faith keeps us from fear and anxiety, but that's where we're wrong. Because when we're saved, we become friends of God, but we actually become uh, enemies of the devil. And the devil and his demonic forces that are out to thwart the plans of God and bring down the people of God. Now, I don't want to scare you guys, but if you guys believe that being a Christian is about, is about laying on green pastures and, and laying, sitting beside still waters, uh, you guys didn't finish reading the psalm because the psalmist says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right? It's not like I might, but he's saying like even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's about expectations. Now, I've said this story many times in my sermons before, and you guys might be getting sick of it, but um, it's very funny, and I think it's very apt. But when I lived in Seoul, like, who, who lived in Seoul before? Right, subways in Seoul are very Subways, um, not that many people, you know, like, there's room to, like, walk around, you know, and even when it's... But uh, I live in this one area, and it's like the epicenter of all of the buses and all the subways that kind of diverge in this one area. And uh, from seven in the like from seven in the morning to about nine o'clock, the subways at, going both ways out of Padang are absolutely packed. Right? It's like there's nowhere to kind of like move your hand. You where the guy has to like literally push them in, but it's pretty bad. And so I had uh, I had a uh, tutoring gig that I had to go early in the morning. I was teaching this this Wonjang Nim at a Hagwon, how to speak English. He's an English Hagwon teacher, Wonjang Nim, but he speaks no English. Like I didn't understand. He wanted to learn English. He, he hired me, so I had to go on this subway and from Sadang to Gangnam, towards uh, that the busy area, 
it's this section of the subway that's about 15, 20 minutes where you're just like, you're just stuck inside, right? And I remember it was it was in the um, it was in the winter time. It was cold, and I had like my jacket on, but I was hot inside, so I like kind of like op- like you know, like I had it kind of open, and I found myself with this with this old lady, Harmony, and her faith was her face was just stuck on my chest, right? She had no choice. She's short, right? Right, and so her face is just like right here. Like right on my boob, right? I could just feel her breath like on me. Right? And she's just standing there like this. Right? And and for about twenty minutes, that's the scene. Nothing changed. She was just on my chest, smelling, you know, my my stinkiness and all that, and just the sweat that's like just coming off my body. And until we hit like this one station where everybody gets off, that's what she was doing for twenty minutes, right? Now I believe that it's about expectations, right? That lady was able to endure uh, with her face in my chest and in my armpits for those 20 minutes is because she knew that this is just the way that the subway is at 7 o'clock in the morning on the green line, right? There's, there's no way around it, right? You can't, she can't take the bus. This is the only way. And so as she starts her day, she's like, all right, I'm going to be buried in someone's either their back or their chest, if they're really tall, maybe like their butt. But like, because I, I, I'm, I'm, she's really short. She's like this big. So I, she's like, I know that I'm going to be stuck on somebody's body part at one point. And, that's, and she's able to endure that because, A, she's prepared for it. Right? There's an expectation that she has. Like, it's not like all of a sudden she woke up and she finds herself in the space and she's like, ah, help me. Right? She goes and she's like, all right, I'm going to be stuck in here and I can endure this. And for us Christians, we, f- we, will, uh, we, we have fear and anxiety and worries and circumstances in our lives that will cause us to question ourselves and, and question God. We're not perfect. And the worst thing that we can do is to, to, to pretend that it's not happening, right? And, and, and what we really need to do is expect it because we have, we have a God that loves us, but we also have an enemy that wants to bring us down. And, and there are going to be situations that that where uh, we're going to experience anxiety and we're going to experience fear and we're going to experience worry. We're not exempt from these things because we have faith. No, there will be times where we might doubt God's goodness, doubt God's faithfulness and fear, and we might have fear about what's going to happen to us, what, what, you know, like worries that we have. And, and there are times where we might actually lose our confidence in the Lord. Jesus said that the world, in the world that you will have tribulation. He doesn't say that in the world you might have tribulation. In the world you might have trouble. But he says you will have trouble. You will have tribulations. But I, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So as believers, one of the first real weapons in combating fear and anxiety is to understand that Fear and anxiety uh, will come sometimes in our lives. We have to have this expectation. You know, the trials and the difficulties will be part of our lives. That knowledge alone is like the first step in us overcoming fear and anxiety. We have to expect it. We have to expect it. When I was a child, I used to watch G.I. Joe. I don't know if there's many people in here that are as old as me. But there's a show called G.I. Joe. It was really old. 
And at the end, they would always have this message for the kid. And then he would say, oh, now I know. And then they would say, knowing is half the battle, right? And that would end the cartoon, right? And every, every episode, they would say, knowing is half the battle, right? And it's this, is that when you have this expectation that, like, because I have God and because I have faith, it doesn't exempt me from fear, anxiety, things happening in our lives that go wrong, right? And that we're actually allowed to experience these things, right? It's, it's half the battle. It, it really helps us to be prepared when these things come. And knowing that when we face struggles like this, that we are not exempt from them is huge because it keeps us looking at God rightly. Right? When we're not expecting fear and trial and anxiety, if we believe that because God is with us, that we're exempt from these things, when they come, it causes us to see God wrongly. And it causes us to see ourselves wrongly. Maybe we feel that he's, he's not as loving as the Bible says he is, right? He, you know, he may be, he, he, he's not for me. He's punishing me. Maybe I did something wrong to deserve this, right? We've all felt that in our lives, right? We've all had these things happen, and we worry, and, and then we, first thing we do is like, oh, God, forgive me for every bad thing that I've done. I, I, I pray that for many times, right? Like, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, because we feel like, like, like because we're not expecting it, Right? We feel like God's doing this to us. And if we believe that we're never supposed to have doubts like these as Christians, it brings distance to our relationship with him. You know, Ezra, my youngest son, as soon as he does something wrong, right, or as soon as he eats something that he's not supposed to eat, he looks at me differently. Right? I'll just catch him, and he goes like this. And he's like, automatically just backs up. And he's holding this thing behind his hand. He's like, uh, and I know what's in his hand is candy, right? It's candy that he's not supposed to eat. But then as soon as that's what happens, when we, it's like, like it, when, when we, like when these things happen and we have fear and anxiety in our hearts, but we don't, we, we think that like we had the sneaking suspicion, oh, maybe God is doing this to us. We feel like, oh, then I got to hide this. I got to try to like, like, and then we back away from God and, and, and we realize, we, we, we don't understand that all of this comes down to our relationship with God. When we think that we're not supposed to have fear and anxiety, worries in our life, it creates in us this wrong understanding of our relationship with Him. Right? When they come. And so, for us to have the right understanding of fear and anxiety in our lives, we have to expect it. And the power to fight fear and anxiety is in our relationship with God can only be found in our relationship with him. Now I want to go back to the start. We want to go back to creation of Adam and Eve and what God intended for his people from the beginning. Right? Genesis 1, 28 to 31. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that that moves on the earth and God said behold I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seeds in its fruit sounds like like a shine in her veganism <laughs> you shall have you shall have them for food and for every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that is on the that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, 
And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so in the beginning, we see God establishing man in a world with no lack. Man had everything that they wanted or needed. There was, there was nothing that they, they lacked. So there was no worries. There was no anxiety. There was no fear. God gave them everything. But we have to realize that what God gave them was not the end all. Right? Listen to me again. What God gave them was not the end result of what he wanted for them. Right? God didn't create the Garden of Eden so that they can have all these things. It was just a means to an end, meaning they gave them everything, and it, that, that what they gave him was just a part, just like a small part of what he really wanted with them, and it was relationship. He wanted to have relationship with them. And it was out of the overflow of the relationship that, that with God that they had all these things. God didn't create Adam and Eve so that they can, they can be pets, right? We have these three turtles in our house. We got them when they were this small. Now they're like this big, right? And it's like taking over our house, right? I got them so that Ethan at the time really loved animals, and then he wanted to look at them. And every time we go to Home Plus, we'd be like, ooh, go boogie, go boogie, right? I think it was like, he was like two or something. It was like, we got them a long time ago. And so we have these pets, and I created this ecosystem for them, this big tank with like, like lamps. Like I need two kinds of lamps. I need a basking lamp and a UVB lamp so that they, they're, you know, they can digest the food. They need light, right? Reptiles need light in order for them to digest the food. I give them this like expensive like green thing that they like to eat. They don't like to eat anything else. You know, like I have this filtration system to clean up their poop and I have to change the water and I have to change the tank and do all these things. And I do all these things, but at the end result, it's so that we could just look at them. Right? Ethan doesn't play with them. They're too dirty, right? I feel like every time he touches the thing, I'll be like, go wash your hands, right? He'll never tell you. He's like scared of it because they have these sharp claws. So he's not like he can even play with them. They exist so that we can just look at them, right? They're like, like true pets, right? They're, they're, we don't have them for relationships. I know that some of you pet owners in here, right, you guys love your pets, right? And you guys have a relationship with them, right? I believe that there's a difference with mammals, right? Because we have Nugget, he's our dog, and we would be very sad if he, if he died, when he dies, he will, he will die, right? But we will be very sad but when Ethan, one of we had four turtles and one of them died, he was more fascinated than anything. He's like, oh, is it dead? <laughs> Point I'm trying to make is that God didn't create them, right, so that they could have all these things. They created them, God created them for relationship. And it's in that relationship that they had the fullness and the abundance and the prosperity and everything that they needed and they lacked nothing. It came from that relationship. He made them in his own image. So not only can he give them everything, but so he can have a, a relationship with them. Right? You can only truly have a relationship with something that is made in, that's in your image, right? So the relationship was the end goal. Prosperity was the overflow of the relationship. You know, he wanted to experience, he wanted Adam to experience the fullness of this relationship with Eve and also this this relationship that, that he would have with God living in paradise, you know. He gave them everything. 
And it was out of that relationship that they had the abundance. But not only did they have abundance, but they had honor. They had honor. They were given this mandate to, to take dominion over the earth, rule over the earth. And he made them in, their, in God's image so that, we, that they can have this dominion, right? right? Who has dominion over this earth? It's man, right? Man has dominion, right? It, there's never going to be a monkey uprising, right? I don't care how many movies they make about it, Planet of the Apes. It's not going to happen, right? right? It's not going to happen. We have guns, right? right? Even if we had a big stick, I think we could beat most monkeys, right? But then, but then, there, but like we have dominion, and so God give God gave them this this overarching honor over all of creation. Even the angels are are beneath human beings, right? Between below his creation. So he he gives them this fruitfulness. And he gives them this honor, and, and, and this was all an overflow of the relationship that God wanted to have with them. And when this relationship was severed, right, because of sin, we see fear and anxiety enter into the lives of men. And it wreaks havoc on the people's lives throughout history. Genesis 3, 19 uh, I'm going to read from 17, actually. It says, and uh, this, this is when, after they've sinned, and then after Adam has blamed Eve, he's like, this, this is the woman, right? You know, and then all of a sudden, sin happened. They have to, they feel shame to God, so they have to sow these fig leaves. And I don't know how much a fig leaf can cover, but they are quite large. They're like, they're about that big, right? So I'm sure they can cover some. They sow these things with fig leaves, and then they feel shame. There's this separation. There's this distance between them and God. And then, and then he bl- there's distance between man and woman now because he's like, it's the woman. Like, he blames his wife, right? And then all of a sudden, this is the, the proclamation that God, uh, the, God gives over Adam. It says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it, be, it, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. Uh, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? So before sin, right, right, like whatever Adam had to do that was work was, was not grueling. Right? I don't care how great your jobs are. Some of you guys are like, oh, I, have, I love my job. It's like the best job. I love it, right? It's still work, right? Isn't it? It's still a job. You still need vacation. You still need a weekend, right? right? But imagine Adam's given this take dominion over the sun, and there's no toil, right? You're, you're just, whatever you do is just, just fun and dandy, right? And then it goes from that to saying that, hey, you're going to farm this land, and you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to be hard. You're going to bring up this grain, and you're going to have to work so hard to eat the bread of this land, right, from the, from the ground, right, and there's going to be lack in your life. Right? You're going to always be, well, will there be enough grain? Will there be enough? Am I going to be able to produce enough? There, with sin came lack. And then we see death. It says, you shall return to the, to, the, to the dust, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see that the fall, two things are created, lack and death. Sin brings lack and death into the world, and that lack breeds anxiety in man, and death breeds fear in man. 
It's the antithesis of what God wanted for his children. Do you guys see that? It's the exact opposite of what God wanted for them. God wanted abundance. God wanted fullness, right? Everything that they can possibly imagine, and they will live forever. And what sin brings is lack. You'll never have enough, and you have death. In the fallen world, these two things, they wreak havoc on people. We are anxious of lack. We fear death. And so fear and anxiety is not something that God put into the world to mess with us. God is not the source of our fear and anxiety, but it comes from the severed relationship that we have with God. You guys see that? It's not because God wants to, like, scare us. It's not because God, like, wants us to have a bad weekend and just ruin our, our, our day off. No, it's because of this severed relationship that we have with God. God never wanted lack for his children. God never wanted us to face death. But the sin of man and the fallen nature of this world breeds lack and death, and it breeds fear and anxiety. And we create nations, right? We create nations. We create governments so that we don't. We we are we are, we can pr- to protect us from lack. Why do you think governments exist? Right? It's it's existed so that that people don't face lack. And then corruption comes, and then people face lack, and then some people get all, you know, like, but it all stems from this thing, like, hey, we don't want to be in lack. We don't want to starve to death. We don't, we, we want a government to protect us from lack. And then we raise armies to protect us from death, right? America has this amazing army, and they think that no nation will ever come and conquer them and kill them, right? These things man created because fear and anxiety came into this world at the fall, and it came at the severed relationship between man and God. But Jesus came. Everybody cheer. Jesus came. That's the way that it was. That's the way that it was, but Jesus came, and he reestablishes our relationship with God. And today, we're going to look at Matthew 6. It's what I read earlier, and this is Jesus' solution to our fear and anxiety issue. What does Jesus, how does Jesus deal with our fear and anxiety? How, how does Jesus look and how, how does he, you know, like, like think? And, and what's his advice for us regarding fear and anxiety? I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Right. Now, we have to see here that what Jesus is doing regarding anxiety and fear isn't to get rid of it for us. I read it earlier. Right. It's not, Jesus it doesn't want to get rid of our anxiety. Right. His answer isn't necessary to remove the things that's causing our fear and anxiety. We pray, right? We pray in faith, like, God, there's this thing. Move it for me, right? And we pray in faith. But then God's not necessarily, like, his answer to our fear and anxiety issue is not to remove those obstacles and those trials from our lives. You know, Ethan, when he was young, when he was afraid of something, we would remove those things so that he wouldn't be afraid of them. But that's not necessarily the best thing to do for our children as they get older. 
We want them to conquer their fears, right? Like recently, Ethan, did I tell you guys this story when I preached? Ethan is taking Taekwondo, right, these days. He takes Taekwondo, which is, you know, you guys know what Taekwondo is. And our, our, his Taekwondo Academy is in our apartment complex, right? It's just like a, it's a, a little building that's on the side. It's co- kind of connected to our apartment complex. And he goes, he's been going for about two months now. And uh, we've been saying to him, hey, you're older now. I think you can walk to Taekwondo and back on your own, right? I think, I think you can walk there and I think you can walk back, right? And he's very, he was, at the time, he was very confident. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then when I would walk him to Taekwondo, he would always walk like, like 50 paces in front of me to look back and say, like, hey, I'm going by myself. I'm like, no, I'm going with you. You're just, you know, more ahead of than I am, right? But then one day, I think Ezra was sick. Our youngest was sick. And then I was in the house, and our babysitter had to leave. And then uh, I was supposed to pick up Ethan. But we gave, I put his, the babysitter put our little key card that opens the front, you know, sliding door of the apartment um, in his Taekwondo bag, right? And so... I called him, and he's like, like Appa, when are you going to get me? And I said, all right, uh, the key card is downstairs in your bag. Right? You can open the bottom door, and then you know how to open the keypad of our front door. I want you to walk home right? because Ezra's sick, and I don't want him to go outside. And so he's like, okay, very confidently. He's like, okay. And then we live on the top floor, so I can look down from our veranda, and then I, I can see where the the end like the end e- exit of the Taekwondo Academy is, and then it's like co- covered by some shrubbery. And I'm just looking, and I see this this little kid dressed in white Taekwondo, and he's holding his bag and he's walking. He's walking, and I'm like, oh, proud of this guy. He walks, turns the corner, looks both ways before he crosses. You know, because you know, like with all, he walks across the thing and he walks and he disappears. And then I could hear the elevator because our elevator, we uh, like you know our apartment. When the elevator runs, you can kind of hear it from, like, near the, the front door. I can hear the elevator. He's coming all the way to top. And then, and then, so right when he gets to the front door, I open the door from him, and he looks at me, and he goes, Aah! I started breaking out in, like, these big old tears, and he would not stop crying for, like, five minutes straight, right? He's just bawling, right? right? But he was fine. But he wasn't crying when he was walking all the way to, to the thing, right? He was, he was totally fine. And then right when he gets to our front, he starts crying, right? And so, uh, but I didn't, like, like at that moment, I didn't just say, like, hey, I'm going to take you to Taekwondo every day from, for the rest of your life. I'm going to go with you. No, I want, my, my job is to prepare him for independence, right? And so I told him, hey, next time, go to the earlier class, and so that when you walk back, you're not going to be so scared, right? And so the next time he, he left, and I told him, you're going you're gonna to walk there by yourself. And he was more confident. He walked. And this time, I, I was on the veranda, and I opened the window, and I said, I looked, I shouted down. I said, hey, Dan. And then he's all walking. He goes, <laughs> and he looks up. And he goes, and then now he's like, has more confidence. He starts running, and he looks up again. And he goes, and I was upset, and I was like, look, hey. So my, the point of this is, is I, I'm, I'm not going to let him be in this place where he's constantly just afraid of walking to places. Because he's, he's going to start elementary school next year. He needs to start doing things on his own. And so the right thing for me to do isn't to remove this obstacle of walking to Taekwondo. I had to teach him how to walk there on his own. And what Jesus wants to do regarding our fear and anxiety isn't necessary to remove the thing 
that we are afraid of, to remove the things that we have anxiety about. But he wants us, he wants to walk with us through our fears, through our anxieties, and show us the ult- that ultimately they weren't as bad as we thought that they were. This makes some people a little nervous, especially very con- like a controlling people, right? They're very controlling. They need to have control every aspect of their lives. And as soon as something goes at a tender, they, like, they, they, they get, you know, they get like knocked, knocked asunder, or I don't know what the right terminology is. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, they're in this fear and anxiety, and, and they have to have an answer, right? You know those people, like, tell me now, <laughs> yes or no, right? Right? You know those people, like, I have to know now, right? I'm kind of like that, right? Like, when somebody, when somebody says, hey, uh, can we talk next week? I'm like, what's this about, right? Like, I, I have to know, right? But, but God, Jesus isn't necessarily saying, I'm going to take everything and make it right for you. What he's saying is, I'm going to walk with you through the fears and through the anxiety until you get to the other side. And it shows to us the relationship, right? And Jesus starts off in Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, any, or or." nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now what Jesus is doing here is revealing to us the futility of our priorities, right? I want you guys to get, it's the futility of our priorities. He's saying life is more than food, our bodies are more than clothing. It's more than the things that we, we put as priorities in our lives. And he's getting to the priorities in which we look at life. He's saying, be careful what you value and the value that you give to certain things because the more value you give to something, the more fear and anxiety will rule and reign around those things. The more you hold things tightly, the more fear and anxiety will rule your life regarding those things. And you're going to start to make weird decisions, wrong decisions, decisions that that take you you away from God's perfect will. Take, for example, money, right? Who likes money in here? Raise your, you should all raise your hand, right? right? Don't be like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to like money, right? We all need money, right? We need money to pay rent. We need money to pay our mortgages. We need money to buy food, right? right? I, I'm a, I love food, right? If I don't have money, I'm not going to have food. We need money to buy nice clothes, shoes, you know, like take the subway. I don't want to walk everywhere. Like the money is important to us, right? But the more we hold tightly to money, the more fear and anxiety will come regarding it. Some of the richest people in the world are also some of the most miserable people because they're always fear, they're in fear of, I need more and I might lose what I have. Right? It becomes their idol. Right? Material things, right? right? Material things. I'm going to give you a good example. All my life, I've had crappy cars. Right? The first car that I got was my dad's Toyota pickup truck, 1986. You guys were not born then, right? It was a 1986 Toyota pickup truck. It was, it was the color of, of your dress, of your shirt, right? It was a great looking shirt, but as a car, it's not so nice, right? And it was all beat up, and it was like, it was a long bed, so it was all long, and they didn't have a tailgate, and it was like, it was just it really ran well, and I remember, like, getting this, and I was like, dude, my friends are driving, like, Acura Integras, man. Like, why are you going to give me this, 
I've always had, and then when that car got stolen, my dad found the 1979 Buick Oldsmobile Cutlass, no, Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme with a hole in the, in, in the bottom. There was a, literally a hole where when you drive, you can see the street <laughs> passing, right? I've had crappy cars all my life, right? Growing up, I've never had like a really nice car, right? I would see my friends, you know, I, I had some kids that would, got like Mercedes and BMWs when they turned 16, right? But I never experienced that. But like when we got married, and one of the first like major purchases that we made, like we want, we had two kids, and uh, Mina would be stuck in the back of our little Avante as we went up and down to Seoul, and she's like, "Dude, I can't take this anymore, right?" So like, all right, let's get a minivan because we're we're thinking we're gonna have three kids, right? You can't if you have three kids, you want to have like a like a bigger car. So we're like, let's get this minivan. So we bought this minivan, right? We we saved up money, we had some money saved up, and then Mina's mom gave us a little gift, and my mom gave us a little gift. And so we paid off this, this minivan, and we got it. And I remember as soon as I got this, and I, 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 I was like, dude, this is like the nicest car that I've ever owned in my life. Fear and anxiety started to, to rule around my life regarding this car. And, I, and the first time that Mina scratched, like, she's like, it's like a, three weeks into owning the car. She scratched this guy's car, right? Backing out of the thing, and I was like, what did you do, right? Like, how dare you? You know, like, I was okay. And then it was like, she's like, well, I don't think we need to fix it now. We just have to fix the other car's car. I was like, no, we got to fix it now, right? Like, we have to fix it. Like, I remember, like, I, I was so anxious. Every time she would take the car, I'd be like, oh, please don't crash, right? But then as time went by, you know, material things fade. And now, like, like Mina, like, scratched the other day. And I was like, that's all right. I just put some paint on it, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's all good, right? Like, at first, like, no eating in the car. And now it's just like... McDonald's whole hamburger stuck under the seats, you know, right? But then when I first got that, right, when I first got that car, fear and anxiety ruled around that car because I was holding on to it so tight. I've never owned something this nice before, right? Our children is one thing. When we get, this is when we get a little more serious, right? Our children don't belong to us. I don't know, most of you guys aren't parents, but it's easy to start to believe that our children belong to us. And we start to, to stress and like feel like I have to control every aspect of my li- my son's or my daughter's life, right? And, and when we hold them too tight, like, like God entrusts us to care for them, to raise them, right? feed them, love them, right? show them what's right and wrong, and prepare them for adulthood. That's what God entrusts us with, right? Prepare them for adulthood so that they can... Like, know God's will for their life, and then they can follow it, right? But then when we start to just like, you're going to be a doctor. And you're going to make $850,000 a year. And you're going to live in a house in Beverly Hills. And when we start to, like, form these things, and and when we hold our children too tightly, right, we start to have fear and anxiety that, 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 that not only rule our lives, but it starts to rule the lives of our children. They are a gift from God, and we're supposed to raise them accordingly. And Jesus is showing us the, fu- the futility of our priorities, right? Whatever we hold onto too tightly, whatever we put too much value into, it starts to control us, and it creates this fear and anxiety around our sin. Right? Some, some people, it's marriage. Like, I have to get married. And as you get older, you, you're like, oh, and then fear and anxiety starts to rule your life around this subject of marriage. 
And when you see somebody else getting married, you're like, you're not, you, you know, like you see somebody get married, you're not like, oh, I'm so happy. You're like, oh, I'm so happy. Inside, you're like, why not me? You know, like <laughs> this fear and anxiety starts to rule your heart around this issue, right? Because we feel like, oh, this is something that I'm supposed to have in my life. And, and maybe God forgot about me, right? Maybe, and like, what's going on, right? It's because we hold this concept of marriage so tightly in our hands. I'm supposed to be married with this many kids by now, right? But the sin of idolatry breeds fear and anxiety. Right? And so then he's saying, like, hey, like, it's not, like, it's not your life more than just food. It's not your life more than, like, owning a car. It's not your life more than, than, than you know, the trips that you'll take. It's not your life more than the, the cars that you'll own, the houses that you'll live in, the, the nice Versace bags that you're going to have or the, the Nikes, you know, like $200 Yeezys that you're going to have. Like, it's not life more than these things. Right? He's saying don't hold on to these things. This is the, 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 the one thing that's going to mess with you and your fear and anxiety is holding on to things too tightly. Right? And then Jesus brings it back to God's original plan for us, for his people. He points out the immense value and honor that he places on us. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They neither gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being, uh, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like this one. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He brings it back to relationship. This relationship where God loves us and values us so much. He's like, this is a relationship that you have with the Father. Like, we're not like the rest of creation. We're made in his image. So that we can have this relationship with him, a love relationship where he cares for us. He wants to give us his perfect will for us. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them this perfect, he gave them his perfect will for them. And he gave us Jesus Christ to save us, right? His son, Jesus died on the cross. He suffered all the sins of man to save us so that we can have this relationship with him, right? He's saying, like, dude, why are you tripping out? Why are you worrying? Because I'm with you. I died for you. And so we're supposed to remain in this place of trust that comes not just from what we think God is like, but from this true relationship with him. And it's in that relationship we learn about how good and righteous and holy and loving our God is. You know, David King David, God anointed him him king, but God didn't remove all of the things that would come against him being king and and having God's perfect will for him. He didn't just get rid of Saul. Remember Saul? Saul, he's like, David's coming up in the world, and Saul's like, like a demonic spirit enters him, and he's like, sing sing a song to me, David. And he comes, and he chucks a spear at him, right? And he has to run away. He has to flee from Saul. And he has, he's like hiding in, the, in caves and, and, and he's running for his life. He's like suffering. You know? And then if I was David, I'd be like, God, 
I thought you wanted me to be king. What's up here, right? I thought you wanted me to, to be king. Why are you like, why is this dude trying to kill me? Why is he hunting me like some kind of animal, right? I have a question, question him. But what David had was a relationship with God where he knew the goodness of God. He knew that God is good, he's mighty, he's righteous, holy, and just. And we see it in his Psalms where David cries out to God. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and, the, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, for I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, there's that but, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David, he's supposed to be king. All of these things happen to him. It's like, 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 you know, like he's anointed before he, he's even like recognized by the Israelites. And he starts to come up and, and Saul's after him, hunting him down. And he's like, what? He's like, why? Why is this happening to me, God? When will you answer my prayer? When will you answer my car? But I trust in your unfailing love. Right? He had this relationship with God that he was able to, you know, to endure. Right? Like God didn't remove those obstacles for him. But he was act, act able to, to, to endure it and walk through it. And actually come out on the other side. Because he had this relationship where he understood the unfailing love of God. Jesus never said that we would, that he would remove objects of our fear and anxiety. But he says that he will be with us as we walk through them. And we will have the strength and power to overcome them because he is with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for for. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not, you are with me, so I don't have to walk through that valley. Right? A lot of us, we think of it that way. It's like, you know, like, he's like, even though, like, you know, like, you are with me, God, so then I don't have to deal with this. You are with me. We, we, we like, we, we do that, you know, the vacation mode. No worry, no cry. Like, God, you're with me. I'm just going to, you know. No, we have to do our part. We have to walk through the things that we're supposed to walk through. God's not going to automatically move those things. He might. Right? He loves us, and he might change circumstances. But ultimately, there's going to be trials in our life where God says, hey, you're going to have to walk through this, but I'm going to go with you. Right? I'm gonna, my rod and my staff, I'm going to make sure that you're going the right way. And I'm going to make sure that you, when you're going astray, I'm going to make sure that, you, that, that I, I put you back in line because you're walking through the valley of death. And you stray too far from me, you're going to die, right? But then I'm not but I'm with you and I'm, and and I'm not going to remove this from you because ultimately when you come out on the other side, you're going to understand God's love that much more. Jesus tells us in in the in the passage we read in Matthew 6 is therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's like, don't worry about tomorrow because there will be plenty of things to be anxious about tomorrow. That's what he's saying. 
He's not saying, don't worry about tomorrow because everything's going to be fine and dandy, right? He's saying, don't worry about tomorrow because, hey, those troubles that you have now, they're actually might still be there tomorrow. But he, but what he says is, is don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Because, and, and what did it say? It says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He just doesn't say, don't worry, because everything's going to be right. He tells us, don't worry about tomorrow, because I'm giving you grace for you to walk through this fear and anxiety for today. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. So we have enough grace, and we have enough of the power of God to walk through our anxiety now and enjoy God's presence now. When tomorrow comes, God's still going to be there. He's still going to be there. He's going to give us the grace for tomorrow. But we just, we, he wants us to be present in our like lives now, connected with him, receiving the grace that he gives us for today. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He says they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, right? So every, every day, God, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not, these things may not necessarily change. These struggles that you have may not necessarily just go away. You might, the, the same struggle that you had last week that you have today may still be there tomorrow. Right? But don't worry about it because I'm giving you enough grace now for you to overcome your fear and your anxiety for today. And when tomorrow comes, I will be there with you tomorrow. And when the next day comes, I will be with you. He says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's saying, seek me, seek my kingdom, right? You won't get what you want, you get me. Right? Like, like we think like, oh, if I seek the kingdom, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the boat that I've always wanted. I'm going to get my husband, like good looking, six foot four, you know, whatever. Right? He's saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What he's saying is, seek me and my kingdom, and I'm going to give you what I want for you, right? You're not going to get what you necessarily want. We think that. I think that. I was like, if I'm a good Christian, if I pray enough, I read the Bible enough, if I preach a good sermon, God's going to give me what I want, and I want a Nintendo Switch, you know, like, these are the things that we feel, we feel this way. Like, oh, if I'm righteous, if I go to church every week, God's going to give me a husband. No. What he's saying, seek me, seek my kingdom, and what you get is me. You get my kingdom. You get my rule and authority in your life. You get my perfect will for your life. And that perfect will may not look like what you want for you, but it is your perfect will. And that's what you're going to get if you follow me and seek me. That's when you're going to be able to vanquish the fear and anxieties that you have in your life. The thing that you're holding on to so tightly, you're going to start to let that go. And then God's going to start to establish his perfect plans for you in your life where you're not going to need or lack anything because he's going to give you his will. You get him. You get his kingdom. You get his will. You get his plans. He says, I'm enough for you. You won't use God for bread. He is our bread. He is our provision. He is enough. 
Now that doesn't sound so reassuring to us control freaks, but it, it, it makes sense when we're in relationship. You guys, it's all about that relationship. It's giving over our fears and anxieties onto him. First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's not about not fearing or not being anxious. A lot of times we're so proud. We say, we say, we say we ha- I have no fear. Remember those t-shirts a long time ago that said no fear? I had no fear. I had no anxiety. I'm a Christian. I have faith. Yeah, that's good. Those are good words to say, but, but what, what if you don't feel that way? The worst thing that you can do is say, hey, I have no fear. I have no anxiety. And you start to stuff that fear and anxiety. Stuff it down into that part where nobody can see. This is, that's what Ethan did. As he walked home from Taekwondo, he, he stuffed that fear. He wasn't crying when he was walking. I'm scared. It's getting dark outside. But I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to stuff it down deep. I have to cross the street. It's a little scary. There's a car coming. I'm going to stuff it. And then he gets to the door and he opens. And the key card works. And he's like a little relieved. And he gets all the way up to our floor. And I open the door and he sees my face. He sees the face of his father. And he starts to weep and cry. And what did I do? I didn't scold him for being afraid. I hugged him. I kissed him. I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I said, oh, and I held him. And he kept crying. And I held him. I comforted him. And then, and then I took him to the veranda. And I had him look down and said, you see, I, I could see from up here where you were walking. And I was wa- watching you the whole time. And then the next, like two days later, when he had to walk to Taekwondo by himself, I stood up on that veranda. And I was like, hey, I'm up here. Look at me. But it, it, it's not about stuffing the fear. It's not about saying, hey, like, I know, like, I'm not afraid. Right? I'm a good Christian. I don't have these anxieties. It's bringing it to the light and saying, God, I fear. I am afraid. I have anxiety about this in my life. I don't trust you in this area of my life. I feel like you're not for me in this area of my life. God, it's hard for me to have faith in this area of my life. It's bringing it to light, saying, hey, God, I'm afraid. And what God does is he comes by us and says, hey, I know you're afraid. He doesn't say, how dare you be afraid? You should have faith. No, he said, God, I know you're afraid. That's why I'm going to walk with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have, like, like I, I'm, don't worry, I'm with you. We will be afraid. We will be worried. We will be have anxiety in our life. Faith doesn't mean that we are immune to these things. Faith is taking these fears and giving them over to God and trusting that he is what he says he is. That's faith. Faith isn't saying, ah, I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm all right. I have no fear. Even though fear is gripping your heart. I want to close with this. It's from 1 John 1.5. And it says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we confess, or if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It says, God is light. There is no darkness in him. And it's about bringing our issues into the light. Right? Sin will cause anxiety in our lives. And we try to just compartmentalize our lives and say, this area of my sin is just for me. And then, God, you get to have the 78% of my heart. Right? But when we truly know God, it's about bringing everything into the light. God doesn't want us to deal with our fears alone. He doesn't want to even have us deal with our sin alone. A lot of people, they look, they be so lonely because they're dealing with their sin alone, just letting it fester in their mind. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not over this. I'm a worrier. I'm a sinner. I struggle with fear and anxiety all the time. I'm preaching to myself here. But I've come to know a Savior who is with me and understands me. Jesus faced anxiety. He wasn't immune to it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but yours be done. When I read this, I always have a pause in the mind. I say, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. There's a long pause there. Hallelujah. And he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but yours be done. He prays this three times. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus understands fear. It's not like he was immune to fear. It's not like he was immune to anxiety. If, I, if, if, if it was me and I, I had to face crucifixion, man, like... Even when I get a shot these days, I, I'm like, Arr! when they have to take my blood, I got a physical, and they had to poke me twice. And the second time, I'm like, I'm done, right? But imagine if I had to, like, go and be crucified. I'm going to be anxious. Jesus was not immune to anxiety. He was not immune to fear. But he felt every agonizing moment of that, the fear and anxiety as he went to the cross. But he, he gives it over to the Father. It's not my will but yours will be done. He understands our fear. He empathizes with us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus, when, he, when, he, when we tell him about our anxieties and fear, he's not going to be like, Psh. like, what are you talking about? He's never going to be like, oh, I don't know. But when we tell him our fear, he's like, hey, I know. I understand your fear. I understand how you feel because I felt that before. I understand the worry that's on your heart. He is one that I can lay my fears and anxieties at his feet. He gives me the grace to face and walk through my fears. Walk, he walks with me. He's with me in my fears. He's with me in my anxieties. And he gives me the grace to endure for today. 
And when tomorrow comes, he will be there to walk with me then. And so I will learn as I continue to walk with Jesus that there ultimately is nothing that I can't walk through. It doesn't mean that the fear is not going to be there. It doesn't mean that anxiety is not going to be there. But I know that there's nothing that I can't walk through because he is with me. He will always be with me. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. But before we close in prayer, I want us to uh, spend some time. In, so can, can, is there any way we can get on the keys? I want us to close, and I want to spend some time praying for people. And at least I want you guys to pray for me because there's anxiety that I feel. There's, there's certain fears that I have in my life. There's, there's areas that I worry about. There's things that, I, that, that, you know, that grip my heart at times. So I want us to take this time. Let's all close our eyes.